Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. We are just a couple of day weeks, excuse me, away from training camp. I wish it was a couple of days. It's away. basically a couple it of days. It basically is a couple of days. I think July 28th, if I'm not mistaken, is yeah. the first day that so the Steelers two weeks, report days. to training camp. That's unbelievable. The offseason at long last is about to mercifully come to an end. Before we get to training camp, though, I thought this episode it might be fun to do a little bit of a potpourri as far as it's concerned with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just a little bit of everything, you know, mm. kind of a general vibe of where the team is headed as we are just 12 days away from training camp. And when you start with the quarterback position, we've talked about him a lot this week because he's been in the headlines in this kind of dead period between minicamp and training camp for a significant amount of time. And the way that we all feel about Ben Roethlisberger and the state of Ben Roethlisberger, I, I think it really just boils down to, is he healthy enough to make it through a full 17-game season? And is he in good enough shape where that elbow, where he's able to escape from pressure that's going to be seen more so than the past couple of years because of a lack of an offensive line compared to the past couple of years? Is he going to be able to escape pressure more often? And is he going to be able to protect the ball like we saw him do in the first half of the season last year? Um, a lot of what the Steelers do next season depends on Ben Roethlisberger and the type of quarterback that he can be. I don't think he has to be a world beater, but I don't think he can drop below number 15 in the league and the Steelers still have success. He's got to stay in that top half. I mean, to go off of that, uh, I mean, I'll ask you the question. Do you think that if – if he's worse than he was last year, can he be worse than last year? Yeah. And them still be successful? Uh, I think I yeah. think so because yeah. they have enough pieces around him that, that, that weren't there last year, such as the two new rookies, that it's going to be okay. I, I, I guess I should have phrased it better. Like, I don't know how big of a drop-off. But, like, if he's considerably worse, are they better? Well, if it's considerably if it's worse, and then, I mean, obviously – there have been discussions about will Ben be benched that started because Mike Tannenbaum went on ESPN and said, I believe Ben Roethlisberger will be benched by the end of the season. I don't know even if he's bad, if that would happen. I don't think you can bench him, but I think what would happen is Ben's quote unquote hurt. So we have right. to play mm -hmm. Rudolph. It wouldn't right. be like a total public statement of we're benching Ben Roethlisberger. You can't, you can't do that. No, to you a can't. Guy and, like and we've that. said if, if there comes a point where the Steelers have to go two or three games without Ben starting, regardless of its performance it's, it, yeah. or if it's physical inability to play, then that's too much. That's, so, that's, that's going to be too detrimental of a hit to that it would cost you missing the playoffs. You don't want to be the New York Giants and how they handled Eli yeah, Manning. Yeah, not at all. You, you don't that won't want happen, that kind of, It's no, not going to happen Steelers because aren't. that started long before this point in – or the equivalent of Ben and Eli's careers. Right, but you have to pay the respect that that quarterback deserves, and even if you do want to bench him, quote-unquote, for Mason Rudolph due to his performance, you give a nice PR spin to it, yeah. and you say, you know, Ben is hurt. He's dealing with a lingering injury, so we're going to have to, you know, we don't want to risk this man to not be able to walk for the rest of his life, so we're going to have to go to Rudolph here, and that's the way that they would handle it. But, yeah, I, I think that, to kind of answer your original question, he can play worse than he did last year, but it's a very thin margin yeah. of worse that he can go to. If he's throwing like one or two interceptions almost every single game, they got a lot of problems because 
Think about how that's basically the 2019 offense. It, essentially, okay. if you're turning the ball over that many times, and also game. think about how their goal this year is to run the ball a lot, keep that defense of theirs fresh, and have ball control. Well, if you turn the ball over, you're not having ball control, obviously, and you're throwing your defense immediately right, right back out onto the field. That was potentially biggest, in terrible field position. Right. Uh, yeah, field position. That was the biggest issue toward the end of the 2019 season was the fact that the defense was able to stay on top of things for the first, what, 13, 14 games. By the end of the season, they were just so gassed, and the team was still turning the ball over against the Bills, the Jets, and then the Ravens that the defense just didn't have anything left in the tank. And those turnovers proved to be too costly. The defense just didn't have it in them. I mean, we've seen this be a repeated problem with T.J. Watt toward the end of the season. He just kind of seems to lose a step or two just because he, he exerts himself so much at the beginning and, and the middle of the season. So I think it's absolutely going to be a problem if you do see a repeat offender of the 2019 offense because the defense, I think, is, isn't as good. It, it's still really, really good, but... As a, as a sum of its pieces, it's not nearly as whole as it was in 2019. So I think if Ben does kind of take a significant step back where you're seeing, obviously it's not going to be Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph throwing the ball, it's Ben. But if you see a repeat of the lack of ball control, it's going to be, I think, more detrimental than it was two years ago. Well, one thing that can definitely help Ben play better than he did last year, or at least play more conservative, is the running back and the rookie Najee Harris, who will step in and immediately be the starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, the state of the running back room is Najee Harris and then a wide margin and everybody else. <laughs> You're going to need someone else to step up. It's probably going to be Benny Snell at the beginning of the season. You know, I can't really see Kalen Balazs jumping up in front of Benny Snell no. and taking that number two spot. Um, it's uh, possible. Jalen Samuels' days might be numbered, to be quite honest with you. There was, <laughs> there was an article that Kellen and I went through about AFC teams with veterans who could be removed from their team, could be um, just camp guys that don't make it. And Benny Snell was the guy listed for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That would be surprising just because – that would signal to me that they're either very high on Balage or Anthony McFarlane has taken a nice step forward in his second season because I really don't think that the they are pleased with Jalen Samuels. I think that no. they've already gotten all they need out of him. They know what he's going to be. So he I had his he, time. I said, yeah. I said he shouldn't have made a team last year, and I don't think yeah. he should have. Like, and then when you go out and get a guy like Balage, that even right, right. And, and draft and, Najee Harris, and, that's you yeah, add two yeah. more guys to the room. The fact that Najee Harris wasn't even there last year, Kellen shows how much he didn't deserve to be there. Yeah. So I don't think it's a smart idea to move on from Benny Snell, though, just quite yet, because I think Benny Snell, if he puts on a little bit more muscle, maybe a slight bit more weight, I think he can make himself into a really nice battering ram type of running back, short yardage type of guy. Um, if he can really hone in his pass blocking skills on third and long situations, if you want to have – someone back there to block for Ben. But the problem yeah. with that is you want Najee out there, too, to run pass, right, right, to right. run routes and, and to be a part of the passing game. So that's tough. But, you know, I think Benny Snell is at a crossroads in his career now where he has to look at the mirror and he has to say, what am I going to do? Yeah. I need to be able – he needs to be able to recognize that it might not be in the cards for him to be a starter in this league, and that's okay. If he can recognize the role that he could have, which is a short yardage back, a spell back, maybe you start a game or two here or there if your starter's out, he could really carve out a nice career, not just with the Steelers, but with teams after the Steelers as a kind of a journeyman backup. And I think that that 
kind of career arc needs to start this year for Snell. So I'm interested yeah. to see if he really takes that into account and focuses more on you know his role specifically rather than trying to become a starter mm -hmm. in the league. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's many it's guys hard. that have done that yeah, their I mean, entire career. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I know Frank Gore started, but I mean, look at how long he's been in the league just because he's, he's been, still playing. Correct? Is he I playing this year? So. I, I, think, I think. I don't so. know where. I mean, it's not really an NFL season if Frank Gore's not playing. Right, but I mean, my point is, is like if you carve out your role and you figure out how to, you know, make your body last, and you know what I mean, like you, you figure out, hey, like I don't have to be the guy. Yeah, and people do that the adjustment, like D'Angelo Williams. Right. Obviously, he split time with Jonathan Stewart in Carolina, but they were both number one guys. Right. When he came to Pittsburgh. He had to adjust to being I'm number two. I'll get some starts every once in a while. Right. But I'm Which number, he did. I'm number two. Yeah. And Le he was Garrett, very good. Le Blunt could not do that. In Pittsburgh. Right. Exactly. And and so I I do think that. You know that, that Benny can figure that out, and um, you know I think it has to be Benny. You know you mentioned like one of the running backs is going to have to step up, and, and I believe it is going to have to be Benny. And and you know you said that the Steelers, you know they can't give up on Benny Snell. I don't think they can because of the fact that he's really the only other guy with you know with experience at least mm -hmm. with the Steelers. Um, you know I know Kalen Balage has um, you know has NFL experience, but you know he's never really done. Any, he's never you know been a guy. Um, and McFarland, who, you know, I think all of us here are, are high on and, you know, ex not expect him to do big things, but has the potential to do big things. When you have speed like that, mm -hmm. you know, you're intrigued by him. I, I do have high hopes for him, but it is going to have to be Benny Snell that steps up because he's the only other guy that really has experience with the Steelers and has really legitimate starting experience. Yeah, I think. To be honest, I, I, I totally see your point, Kellen, but to me, it really doesn't matter who who it is. I understand why you would want it to be Benny, just because he's been around, not just in the league, but on the team. But to me, I, it doesn't matter who it is. I just need one of these guys to step up, just because it's the Naj it's going to be the Najee Harris show. And I just need one guy to be able to come in on a random second down, just... If Benny, if if uh, Najee needs a playoff here and there, that's fine. But I don't want anyone else in there for the first offensive series. I don't want anyone else in there on third downs. It needs to be Najee Harris, and I really don't care who it's going to be behind him. It just needs to be someone who can be consistent enough to be a backup. And really, if the Steelers want to go with McFarland or Balage or Benny, it doesn't matter to me. Wide receiver core is probably the biggest strength from top to bottom as far as the Steelers are concerned on the offensive side of the ball. Juju Smith-Schuster comes back after it seems like a foregone conclusion he's going to leave via free agency, but he signs a one-year deal worth about $8 million to return to your Pittsburgh Steelers. Excuse me. Excuse me. To your Pittsburgh Steelers this year. Chase Claypool trying to make that next step in his sophomore season. You really hope he doesn't hit a sophomore slump. Deontay Johnson had a big case of the drops during his sophomore season last year, so you hope that in his third year in the league that he can kind of get that out of his system and really take that next step forward. There's a theme here. It's really all about taking that next step forward with a couple of these guys. I guess Juju's already taken the steps forward that he needs to take in his career, but he can still have room for improvement. I mean, he's still a very young player in this league, and in fact, his statistics have dropped off since Antonio Brown has left his side. So, and that shouldn't surprise no, you. But no, but maybe if a Chase Claypool can step up, yeah. maybe if a Deontay Johnson can step that can up, help him. then all of a sudden Juju can start eating again and maybe he can get over that 1,000-yard threshold. But, yeah, with guys like Claypool, Deontay, and I can even throw James Washington into that category and feel comfortable, it's really all about 
continuing their progression, continuing to realize their full potential and taking those steps forward. And really, when you're on a razor's edge as far as, you know, your quarterback is 39 years old and you don't know what the future is going to hold, you can't afford a year where they take kind of a step backwards. Yeah. And I think Deontay, to an extent, kind of took a little bit of a step backwards oh, absolutely. last year. And you saw how detrimental that could be. So you really just hope that all four of those guys in that top spot four spots in that wide receiver room from Juju to Washington just continue to get better this season. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing really more you can say because, like I said, from top to bottom, they're probably the best group on this offense, but you can always just get a little bit better, and it, that's that's the biggest key, I think, is especially for a Chase or, or a Deontay, is really take that next step, firmly entrench yourself right. in the NFL. Don't yeah. leave any mystery about the fact that you're going to get that fifth-year option picked up and you're probably going to get signed whether it be with the Steelers or another team, to a second contract in the NFL. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of interesting because, you know, they do have probably the deepest wide receiver core in, in, in maybe all of football. I know there's some teams that could rival it, but when Ray Ray McLeod's your fifth guy and he's really, you know, just like a gadget type of guy and you just use him sparingly, that's a really good position to be in mm-hmm. um, if you're the Steelers. And, um, you know, it's kind of – it's an interesting situation. The reason I say that is because we talked about Ben – and I said, if Ben takes a step back, what does that do to the Steelers? What does that do to the offense? What does that do to the team in general? Are they still a good team? And, you know, if he takes a step back, that receiving core, as good as it is, it might not matter. You know, like, right. I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, uh, be negative or anything like that. But that's a possibility. You know, if Ben's old age shows, granted, those guys could help him because they're very deep and they have talent across the board in the wide receiver room. But it's just it's kind of a double edged sword because if you know if Ben isn't the guy that we've seen or if he takes a step back even from last year, it, it, you know they rely on him. Like someone has to get him, get the wide receivers the ball, you know. And if it's not Ben, you know you're in a you know you're in a, a difficult situation because yeah, there is a ton of talent there, and they probably do have the deepest wide receiver core, you know, maybe in the in, in all of football. You know, you're kind of. In, in a little bit of a corner, and the onus is even more so on Ben now. Right. And you because you, you know, have the talent, right. you don't want it to go to waste. Yeah. And like Tom said, you can't afford to have... You can't. You, you know, you can't afford to take a step back, especially with it being presumably Ben's last year. Um, you know, and, and with all the talent there, you just you can't afford to take a step back. But again, it should give you some confidence. You know, I did, you know, kind of be negative there, but it should give you confidence that they are as deep as they are, and they have talent across the board. That should help Ben... Even if he's not to his, you know, the height of his powers, which he's not anymore, it should give you some confidence that the wide receivers can, I don't want to say carry Ben because Ben has to give them the ball, but you get what I'm saying there. Right. Maybe this, maybe you can see on Ben's deep passes, maybe they're not the most accurate, but Claypool has the ability to go up and grab the ball. Deontay, we know his ability to separate from defenders if Ben kind of throws a ball that's a little. A little wide, Deontay can still make a move. Juju, we know, is very tough at the line of scrimmage, so it'd be hard to, to kind of screw up a little shuffle pass or something like that, and Juju can go and get that extra yard, yardage that the Steelers need. I, I, I think it's a great point. It's just the fact that will Ben make a it's, – it's just it's all dependent on Ben. Yeah. It, 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 no matter which way you want to spell it, it's, it's all going to be dependent on Ben the entire season's productivity – the entire the team's record at the end of the year, everything is going to hinge on the performance of Ben. Well, 
Ben's performance hinges on the five guys that are up front blocking for mm -hmm. him and the rest of the team. And that's probably where we land at our first big question mark of this Pittsburgh Steelers roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball. A ton of changeover on that offensive line. Uh, obviously, Trey Turner comes in and he starts for David DeCastro now. Uh, your center is kind of up in the air. Is that going to be B.J. Finney? Is that going mm -hmm. to be Kendrick Green, the rookie? We still don't know. Maybe starting July 28th, we'll start to finally get some more clarity on that as camp starts. Obviously, Kevin Dotson had a really promising rookie year, but just like we mentioned with guys like Claypool and Deontay, can't afford him to take a step backwards. He's got yeah. to at least stay neutral or preferably take a couple more steps forward in his progression. Uh, but he's going to be your starter at the guard position and then the tackles. Zach Banner, I know he won the starting job last year, but this will really be his first year starting if he can stay healthy. And the guy who took over for Zach Banner, Chukwuma Okorafor, is your most veteran member. Mm. Mm. Trey Turner obviously is the most veteran, yeah, right, but right, as far right. as a Steeler is concerned and starts with a Steeler's helmet, it's Chukwuma Okorafor that's going to be holding that uh, accolade as the most tenured starter in a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform. And that's Really hard to believe when he it was is. just drafted about four years ago yeah. for this team. It's been a very fast changeover at that offensive line, and that's the position that not only concerns me the most on offense, I think it concerns me the most from top to bottom, defense, offense, special teams on this entire roster. Yeah, if you're going to look at a position group as a whole on a starting group as a whole, I think that's real fair. I think that's a good point. I think they are concerning because of the fact that you don't know what you're going to get. And, yeah, we've talked about it a lot. I mean, hell, I think – even before the DeCastro news, I thought that this, you know, this this position group was going to be a question mark. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in losing DeCastro makes it even more so. Um, you know, adding Turner is definitely a help, and, and he's probably the most tenured and the most pedigreed guy on the offensive line in, in that room, and, and that is a positive. Um, but again, you know, he was beat up last year. You don't know what you're going to get from him. If it's that, you know, close to Pro Bowl level or, you know, a – just a, a starting level, a capable starter in the league. I think you hit a home run there. But again, it's not just him. There's a question marks at the tackle position, as you said. I mean, I know Chooks was was fine last year, um, but was he fine? Because you know, like when you look at the offensive line, there really wasn't many positives on it, and he was the best one of that group. Or is it because he's actually just fine, you know, and he's a, a decent enough tackle? There's a lot of question marks. When you look at the offensive line, and, and again, the most important guy in the, in the draft for the Steelers is Kendrick Green, um, because if you know if he doesn't, uh, it's if he doesn't play right away, it's fine. But if he's not good, and if he's not what you thought yeah. he's going to be, and, and I know that's not fair to put that on him in his rookie season, because yeah. you know there's guys you know don't pan out right away, and they you know it takes longer. He's but, also a third round pick. He's not yeah. he's not someone who was taken in the first round like Darisar or Sean Slater yeah. or Penny Sewell. It's a lot of pressure for a third-round guy. It is, and I mean, the onus is on him a little bit because, you know, you're coming in to replace Marquise Pouncey, and, you know, that might not have been the intent, but that is what it ends up happening when he retires and then you draft a center in the third round. That's obviously the, the you know, the thought process of anyone looking at it is, okay, this is the guy that's going to replace Pounce. But if he's not good right away, uh, or at least, you know, doesn't show flashes right away, I don't know. It makes the it makes the draft look look a little questionable. Not questionable, but you get my point. Like, why didn't you use a, an earlier pick on on him? But again, he's. I think he's the most important guy in this draft class for the Steelers. And you know, he if he's good right away, it could definitely make the question marks that we have about the offensive line. You know, it could definitely make them go away. 
Yeah, I don't know if it would go away entirely, but no. they would definitely calm the nerves slightly. And you know what you have to think about this season is when we did our all-time standard episode about the offensive line, there were two guys who made our all-time offensive line. I mean, yeah, you can make the – we said it at center it was going to be Mike Webster, but you said it – you couldn't make the case for Marquis Pouncing. Of course, the guard was a no-brainer. It was David DeCastro. You lost two of those guys in one year. It's going to be a hard task to kind of come back from that and kind of try to mirror that or recreate that productivity or recreate that that sustainability or dependability that those two guys brought to that offensive line for the better part of a decade together. And of course the 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 guy who's going to fall on the sword mostly it seems like it has to be Kendrick Green because everyone else is almost a a non-factor when it comes to how how much was done in order to kind of go out and get them, right? Because everyone else has just been on the team filling in either via through injury or just because other guys were no longer on the team. So, yeah, it's a lot of pressure to be to be put on this rookie's shoulders and I don't know if we don't, we don't know if he's going to be up for the task to to be able to kind of take that kind of pressure, but we know that the most pressure is going to be on this rookie, which could spell possible disaster. Now, the defensive line, we mentioned how the wide receiver group might be from top to bottom, the have the greatest depth on the roster. I think the best position group on the roster is probably the defensive line. When you are healthy, you have Alu Alu, you have Tuit, and you have Cam Hayward. I think those are two all those are two all pro caliber guys on the ends with mm-hmm. Tuit and Hayward. We know Hayward is because he's reached that <laughs> pinnacle twice already in his career. And I think it's all three of them are Pro Bowl caliber. Uh, yeah. Throwing Alu Alu into that category as well. The biggest problem with that defensive line, though, is you can't have anybody really get injured. And if you're going to have somebody get injured, I guess if you had to choose, it would be Alu Alu, and you could just bump someone from the inside up on the depth chart and keep your outside guys the same. But if even he goes down, you're going to have problems. If yep. one of the outside guys, Hayward or two, it goes down, you're going to have bigger problems. If two of them go down, you're basically cooked at that position. And that's really where the concern lies. If they can stay healthy for 16, 15 games uh, a piece, I-, I think you're going to have one of the better defensive lines in football, and they're going to make an amazing impact from uh, Sunday to Sunday. But if they have to deal with injury problems, they just don't have the depth there. And, and really, as we work our way back the- through the defense real quickly here, you know, they, there's not much depth or room for injury anywhere. No, there's not. And that's across the board defensively, as you said. But, you know, again, it's it's sort of a double-edged sword with, with the defense, the defensive line, I mean, because it is probably their best position group defensively. But, man, as you said, if you lose anybody, and, you know, even if it's for three games, it, it, those are going to be a tough three games. I mean, yeah, you could just bump somebody. Just say if it is Alu-Alu or something like that, you could – you know, you can patchwork that you can put a bandaid on it for a little while, but if it's one of the, you know, if it's Hayward or to it, man, you're going to be in trouble um, because you just don't have depth there. But it, it, I agree with you 100% that it is probably the best position group on the field um, for the Steelers. I mean, it, as we said before, it's amazing that stuff to it hasn't made a pro bowl yet. Mm-hmm. He's ascended to that. I mean, I said it uh, the last time we did our episodes, like, he was a, among 10 guys that had double-digit sacks last year, and he didn't make the Pro Bowl. It gives you an indication of how good he's been, and injuries played a part of that. And that should you know, that should give you a little bit of concern moving forward because of the fact that you can't afford to lose anybody. Right. I think it was the uh, Baltimore game, the first Baltimore game, 
of which it was both Cam Hayward and Tyson Oluwalu who both went down. Cam Hayward went down in that last that last drive uh, for the Baltimore Ravens before Mika Fitzpatrick made the game-saving uh, pass breakup. But I remember the reaction going, this, this is it. I mean, at that point, Devin Bush was gone, and Bud Dupree was still around for a little bit longer. But to lose Tyson and Cam in the same game, everyone said to themselves, that's it. That, I mean, you can't come back from that. And I think even if only one of them had gone down, you would be saying to yourself, well, that – that's got to be it because who's going to fill in that hole? I mean, the reason that all three of those guys are so productive is because they're all there and there is really no telling of which guy is going to be the, the enforcer or the, the main attacker for each game. So to lose just one guy is going to be hugely, hugely, hugely uh, detrimental. And I just think that that could just be the, the only domino to fall that needs to kind of derail this season. The linebacking core, uh, obviously the best player on the defense uh, finds a home in this level of that defense, outside linebacker T.J. Watt. He will be flanked by second-year man Alex Highsmith this year. There is a lot of pressure on Highsmith to come in and replace uh, Bud Dupree. So much pressure that you've even started to hear with you know the cap space they've opened up with DeCastro moving on, or I should say them moving on from DeCastro more accurately. Maybe go out and get a guy like a Justin Houston to come in and kind of supplement that outside linebacker room. Either way, Alex Highsmith's going to have to play very significant minutes this year, and his production is almost just as important to the Steelers' success and to T.J. Watt's success on the other side. And then when you look at the inside linebacker group, you know questions with Devin Bush coming off of that injury. He really needs to step up and take a big leap forward into stardom as far as the NFL is concerned and becoming more of a playmaker. And then you've got one of your spiciest position battles on the other inside spot at training camp between Spillane and Vince Williams. So inside linebacker may be the one spot you have some depth that you're comfortable in, and you can have an actual position battle to see who's going to be that second guy starting next to Devin Bush. But on the outside with Watt and Highsmith, if they don't go get anybody else, it's basically those two on an island, and they will be in trouble if one of them gets hurt or if one of them needs extended series off during a game. Yeah, I mean, do you want to hand the keys over to, you know, I mean, Quincy Roche on the outside? Not yet. I mean, could he be be something? Sure. And, you know, could he surprise you if that does happen? Absolutely. But that's not something that you're comfortable in doing right away. Um, You know, I think the linebacking group is good, and obviously when you have probably – the best defensive player in football in that in that grouping that definitely helps um you know and you have Devin Bush who's young and ascending but definitely needs to take a step forward um you know when you look at the inside group as you said Tom I think they are deep um deeper than a lot of you know the defensive positions mm-hmm. at least um are you necessarily you know happy with the you know with with the guys you know with Spillane being you know if he is the two uh, are you necessarily happy with that? No, but at least those three guys, you know that you know what you're getting from each of them, from Bush, from mm-hmm. Spillane, from um, from Vince Williams. You do know what you're getting, and you know I think that's a, a positive. But uh, you know, you mentioned Highsmith, and that's my biggest worry. That's my biggest concern right. um, for this defense. Is you know if, if he's not again, and it's tough to put this on a guy in his first year starting. I know it's his second year, and last year I know he started last year, but it wasn't the plan it's tough to expect a lot from somebody in that position. Mm-hmm. It just is. And and it's going to be tough because if, if he's not, you know, if he's not good right away or if he's not ascending to the level that, you know, the Steelers need him to be, 
you know, it, it's going to be tough because you know everyone's going to have their attention on TJ. Right. And when you look at the secondary for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the cornerback position is a big question mark. Yeah. Cam Sutton's going to have to step up and play a significant bigger role on the outside this year, and you don't know what's going to happen when they go nickel. Nope. If Sutton's going to bump in and a backup's going to take it on the outside, if Sutton's just going to stay on the outside, they're going to find somebody else to play that interior spot. You just really don't know. And then when you look at the safety spot, I mean, Minka's an all-pro. Yeah. Probably projects to be an all-pro again this year. Terrell Edmonds in a big prove-it year as his fifth-year option was not picked up by the team this year. So there's still a bit of an air of caution when it comes to their approach with Edmonds. I know Tomlin gave him a vote of confidence saying that this has really nothing to do with his performance, but it does. Yeah, and, it matters. And he really needs to step up big this year. Again, one of those guys that needs to take a step forward for this team. And, yeah. you know, you would like to see them maybe add another body to the secondary. I know there's a lot of rumors out there about Malik Hooker potentially mm -hmm. being added to that safety room. Maybe he can help in the nickel situations by bumping up and playing that slot. But it's possible now with the fact that Richard Sherman may not be coming back that the market on Malik Hooker goes, goes up. up. Goes up. Yeah. Now, all and all other defensive backs right. who are sitting behind Richard Sherman on the perceived pecking order will definitely see their value go up. That's going to do it for this episode of the Steelers. Stand a little potpourri around the, the Pittsburgh Steelers roster. See where they stand. About average, I would say, right now. It's about an yeah. average roster with potential to definitely make some noise and get they have star the power it's yeah just, will the stars step up they definitely could make it to the playoffs they have potential as a roster it's just a matter of really realizing that potential and that can be a really tough gamble to make in the nfl on the next episode of steelers standard we get down into the heart of our all-time standards list as we go the Pittsburgh Steelers all-time top five offensive players in team history. It's not specific to position groups, just Pacific, Pacific, just specific to the offensive side of the ball. So we'll give you our top five there on our next episode. For Jacob Recht and I'm Tom Opperman. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.